0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of February eleventh, twenty twenty four, from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to turn to First Peter chapter one in your Bibles as we continue our our journey through this letter written by uh, Peter, who was one of those men who, who spoke, as we heard in Mark chapter nine this morning. All that mountain transfiguration—the guy who God used to to write this letter is one of those men that saw the transfigured Christ. He got a glimpse as to what you and I—well, we're still waiting to see what that would look like. And in First Peter, we have seen over the last uh, couple of months that Peter has been celebrating the early part of Chapter One—the salvation that God's given us. He's been celebrating it, going on about its wonders and its. It's majesty that he's given us three commands we saw the last few weeks. He told us there in verse 11 to have our hope completely upon the coming Christ. He told us there in, in, uh, to, in verse 16 to be holy. Verse 15, he told us to also live in reverence or fear. We talked about that last week. And today we're going to pick up there in verse 17 or really verse 18 where we left off last week. As we prepare to, to read this next few verses, I was thinking this week about um, the movie How many of y'all ever saw the Lord of the Rings movies? Some of you did, or even may after read the books. And in those movies and in the books, whether it's the Lord of the Rings or whether it's the one that came first called The Hobbit, uh, J.R.O. Tolkien uh, came up with a character by the name of Gollum. And Gollum, throughout the Lord of the Rings movies, has, has that ring. And what does he call that ring? My precious Anybody want to try to do the impression? My Uh, My son, Ben, the one that's in seminary in Louisville now, he can do a spot-on, creepy version. He he can do Gollum. Uh, I'm not going to try. And and Gollum takes that ring and he calls it his precious, his thoughts, it's his obsession throughout the stories. It is... More important to him than his own life—that one ring in that story. In fact, it ultimately leads to his own death because he prizes it more than his own life. And in the story, of *The Hobbit*, as well as the movie *The Hobbit*, there is a, a dwarf named Thorin. And when Thorin recovers in the movie *The Hobbit* or the book *The Hobbit*, he recovers his family's treasure—the gold and silver. He becomes, what they call the, in the book, dragon. it. He becomes obsessed with his treasure. And it almost destroys him before he kind of recovers. And in both these, whether it's the ring or whether it's the treasure, these two characters become so obsessed over an object, over a treasure, <laughs> over wealth, that it destroys or nearly destroys them. Now, we know the Bible warns us about that type of obsession with the things of this world. The things that we perhaps assign value to, riches and those things. But as we come to our passage this morning, there is something that the Word of God tells us is in fact genuinely precious and worthy of our devotion. Verse 18. Actually, I'm going to go back to verse 17 of chapter 1. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that you, so that your faith and hope are in God. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning to have a few moments to look into your word today. And we pray that we would grasp just a bit of the worth, the value, the preciousness of Christ and what he has done for us. Father, would you bring us to your throne this morning and through the work of your spirit, make your word powerful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have in all this text, all these things Peter's been talking about, and he's been in this first few verses working up to this idea about the precious nature of the blood and the work of Christ. He has reminded us, even at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of the letter, and even right here, that our presence, our time on earth is a very temporary, work. this is not our home. I've had the, uh, the, the the opportunity throughout the course of my life to live in multiple places. I've lived in, in Arkansas, I've lived in Texas, I've lived in Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, and each place has its own beauty, its own place, some more than others, it's got its own charm to it. Um, I'd say this, we're grateful to be back in Arkansas over the last seven years. It's, it's a great place. I, I, had, I, I was hiking this weekend over in Paging National Park. And, man, that's just a beautiful place that God's given us right here. And, and, and I've seen all these different, and been to different portions of the world and, and all these things. But what God has given us here is precious. But beyond all that, all the stuff that God has done he has laid for us this foundation of knowing who He is and how precious what He has given to us is beyond the treasures of this world. And, I, and as I've looked at different places, you know, you're new and you find out there's worlds out here and worlds out there. And, and yet, you know, when I, I remember when I first went to Indiana in 1992, I lived all my life in Arkansas and Texas. Indiana, that was, well, that's up in Yankee land. That was the north. And guess what? It's just different up there. Sometimes you felt like an outsider. Whether, you, whether, whether anybody treated you like that or not, you just felt like you're an outsider. Well, guess what? You and I, as followers of Christ, are by definition, as we see in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we are by definition outsiders in this world. This is not our home. We're temporary bystanders here. And so he tells us, even here in verse uh, 17, that we're just temporarily staying here. And as a result of all that, he says, "As you recognize your temporary life here, as you recognize all that God's done, know that you have obtained this status. You have obtained something we call redemption through the precious blood of Christ." Now, redemption is a word that we we throw about in church work, church lingo, quite a bit. We talk about the redeemed. We sing about redeemed. We talk about redemption and salvation. These are very nice. Church wars, but what does it actually mean? Well, if you were in the early church in Asia Minor when this letter was being probably read to you for the very first time, you would have understood redemption in in perhaps a couple of different ways. There were most likely both Jews and Gentiles in the audience listening to this letter when it's first being read or when it's first being heard. And if you had been raised in the Greek and Roman culture, you would have understood redemption with a word called manumission. Now, uh, what is the word manumission? Well, it's estimated by some that the, the slaves in the Roman Empire outnumbered the Roman citizens. And uh, slavery then wasn't quite what you and I perhaps think of was slavery in the history of this country, but it's still slavery. And there was a way for a slave to have his freedom given to him. He had to go through a process called manumission. The idea was to be bought out or to have your life purchased or redeemed. And generally how that worked was, either through the slaves' own efforts, or through families' efforts, or through whoever's efforts, money would be given in what's you actually they would call a like GoFundMe page, and they would raise money, and that money would be given to the local temple of whatever deity was what that town's deity, whether it was Athena or Artemis or whatever. And so money would be given to that temple who would in turn give that money to the slave owner to purchase the freedom of that slave. That was the process called manumission. And through that process, the slave would be redeemed, purchased, bought, given his freedom, and the local deity would get the credit for it. And the idea would be this. That slave was now free, his life purchased by the local deity, and he's now free from the slave master. but his life belongs to now the local god. That was the process called manumission. That would have been something they would have been familiar with. And Paul indirectly refers to this concept, if not the direct idea, by, by talking about elsewhere the idea that, or Peter, that their lives have been purchased. They have been freed, and their lives have been purchased. And this idea would have been a manumission, would have been the first thing that folks perhaps would have thought about. But, of course, you and I know that the Greek-Roman world is not the only world that Peter's operating in. He's also operating in the world of the Old Testament or the world of Scripture. And you and I know the word redemption goes back to the Old Testament and to the Word of God as well. It's in Israel's history. And the word, the word redemption has a couple different contexts in the Old Testament that God is, is talking about. We could go to another place, perhaps like Deuteronomy, and it talks about God delivering or redeeming His people from out of slavery in, of course, Egypt. He also has the same idea uh, later on in places like Isaiah, where God's redeeming his people from uh, the nation of Babylon. And in both those areas and other spots in the Old Testament, you have this idea of redemption or redeeming, this idea that God invades some place where his people are being held captive, and he gets their freedom and brings them out. There's this idea of redemption. So whether it's God redeeming people from out of slavery in Egypt or from out of captivity in Babylon, you might even think of the Old Testament story about Abraham. Uh, If you remember the story when Abraham is kind of camped outside Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot has chosen to hang out in Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham's got the pasture fields out there and at some point there are some foreign kings that come into Sodom and Gomorrah and take Lot and all these people captive. And Abraham responds by taking his armed men, and what does he do? He goes and delivers Lot and brings him back. There is this Old Testament idea of redemption based upon this idea of God invading and delivering and bringing you back home. Now, how did Peter begin this letter? Back there in verse 1? To those who reside as aliens, exiles, That's right. Aliens, exiles, foreigners. Now you and I perhaps don't think of ourselves as foreigners, but if you are in fact a believer in Christ, a follower of the Lord this morning, you are by definition in this world a foreigner. And there's going to be a day that not only has God purchased our freedom, but he's going to invade this world, and guess what? He's going to take us home. So that idea is floating around here. But, but you and I also know, if you've been around church very long, that that, again, is not even the only idea of redemption. In Scripture. That's not the only picture. There is also, of course, in the, pic- in the picture of the Old Testament, another idea. It's also attached somewhat to, for example, Exodus, when God rescued uh, Israel out of Egypt. He also, in that course, that uh, story, instituted something we call Passover. And if you remember the story of Passover, they were instructed to take a, a lamb, a perfect lamb, Spread the blood of that lamb over the doorpost, and whoever had that blood on the doorpost would be rescued from God's wrath, God's angel of death, redeemed and brought out. Beyond even that, the references to the Old Testament sacrificial system that God, when he established that covenant with Israel, that relationship that he began at Mount Sinai with Moses, we recognize that God talks about having our sins dealt with through the sacrifice of those lambs, and those lambs brought into the temple or into the tabernacle that would be a stand-in for the individual bringing that lamb, would be slaughtered before the Lord, the the blood covering the sins of the sinner. And we recognize that there is the idea of redemption in that as well. All these pictures... Whether it's the Greek and Roman idea of manumission, whether it's God invading and bringing his people home, whether it's Passover lamb, whether it's the sacrifices in the tabernacle or the temple, all of these pictures can be wrapped up in that word of redemption. So what we have here, when Peter's writing this letter to these people in Asia Minor, no matter who you are, no matter what your background, you're going to have in your mind a picture and an understanding of the word Redemption. And it's a prized word. So even though you and I perhaps don't quite deal with the idea of redemption in our daily lives, maybe the way these folks would have, or the history that they would have had, there is a value in this world. Now, as as Peter talks about this, he also continues to describe this redemption as being accomplished for us with something precious. I, I mentioned the way a slave would go through the manumission process, he would attain t- his freedom through what was then called the price silver or gold. You know, money, cash, stuff. That's the way they would go about doing it. And and you, if you've ever saved, I don't know, how many, how many of y'all, have you ever wanted something so badly that you saved up for months, maybe even years to get it? And, and Maybe it was a car. I see lots of this. Maybe it was a house. Maybe it was Taylor Swift concert tickets. No, I'm sorry, house is cheaper. Um, <laughs> you, you probably see what it means to save up for something. And you see the value in, in doing that. But here's the thing about what we've been purchased with, what we were redeemed with. It wasn't anything we had anything to do with. In fact, uh, the truth is, you and I wouldn't be able to save up long enough to purchase our deliverance from God's wrath. We need someone to come back and do it for us. We need something much more precious and much more valuable. He he notes here, in talking about Christ, one of the reasons that Christ's life and blood is so precious is that this was, he said in verse 20, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of Christ the world. And we talked about that the we began this letter earlier in chapter 1 back last fall. But one of the things that makes this whole idea so valuable is that Christ did this. God arranged the purchase of our lives not on a whim. He didn't see our life in the storefront. Ooh, i got to have one of those. <laughs> that before God even created us, before God uttered the words, let there be light, Before history began, God created us knowing the cost of creation would be the blood of Christ. God created knowing that we would sin. God created knowing the cost of our sin, and God created knowing the cost of redeeming us from that sin. He uttered the words, Let there be light. He said, uh, he, he formed human beings from the dust of the ground and breathed in breath into us, knowing that the cost of redeeming us would be the taking of His own breath. Now, that, I don't know about you, I find the more I think about that, I'm, I'm blown away that He would create, knowing that would be the result and the cost, the consequences of it. And yet He did. And it gives us a clue into the precious, powerful nature of Christ Himself that not only was His blood required, but it was planned from before the words, let there be light, ever were uttered. This planning, this purposing of God from before creation with His love and His holiness and His grace, His death, and resurrection, all these things Give us insight into the character and the plans of God. He says there again in verse eighteen and nineteen that you were redeemed, not redeemed with perishable things of like silver gold, but you were redeemed with. Or you were redeemed also away from or out of the futile way of inherited. From your fathers and but with the precious blood. There is this idea here, this comparing and contrasting, if you will, the word precious with the word futile. Or futile could also mean empty or pointless. We probably know what things that are pointless are. And of course, he talks about their their, their pointless, empty way of life that they had before they came to Christ. Now there's any number of ways we can apply that. We could talk about their false religions, their false beliefs, the false gods, the false philosophies they all came out of. We could talk about their pursuit of material things. And it doesn't mean that even today things like a home or a job or a car are in and of themselves bad things. They're simply not permanent things. I don't care what kind of car you own, cars are not permanent, are they? In fact, sometimes they're a whole lot more temporary than we want them to be. Have you, have you guys experienced the temporary nature of cars? How many of you have your very first car? Some of you are driving your very first car right now. I get that, but that's a little unfair. Um, my first car was a 1979 Datsun. Now, if you don't know what a Datsun is, it's what they used to call Nissans. That's how old it was. They, they, didn't, they weren't even calling it Nissans yet. They were still Datsuns. I, I, uh, just for the fun of it, and I, you know, Maybe you think of Nissan or Datsun, and some of you who are older perhaps think, oh, the Nissan 300 ZX or the Datsun 280. Yeah, those were cool. That was not what I had. I had what was called a Datsun 200. Um, what a Datsun 200 was, is they decided to uh, make a sports car for poor people. And. It basically—if you—if you do you what an old Ford Pinto looked like, it looked kind of like a Pinto but slightly stretched out. In other words, it was ugly. And so my dad said, "Perfect first car for my son." And so I drove a 1979 Dotson 200. It was—it was it actually technically qualified as a sports car by the insurance company, despite the fact that if you floored it, went downhill with a tailwind. You might reach 60 miles an hour in about 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> no matter how smooth I got on those you it backfires in 34 every single time. That being said, I was glad to have it. It was a car. I looked it up, just kind of going, I wonder if I can find one of those. You can't even find them. They're so bad. You can I found one for sale in Seattle. One, on cars.com, who says you can get cars. I found one for sale in Seattle. I'm not driving to Seattle to get that. I can't get it. Maybe you want your first car. The cars are temporary. They're, they're passive. It's not that cars are bad, but they are they don't last. And here's the thing about the salvation. Here's the thing about the blood of Christ. Here's the thing about what God has done for us. It is... Eternal, and that's why it's not futile. Empty, hollow, temporary things that aren't lasting—those are futile. But we have the precious nature of God. We've been rescued out of this pursuit of the empty and the futile, and given something precious. And and, and by let let me to hit on this point a little bit. Remind you that God did not plan before creation. He did not, in fact, spend and pour out the precious blood of Christ for you because you're worthless. He did it because He loves you and you're precious in His sight. God spends the precious blood on you because you are precious to Him. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we are, and I'm not here to kind of, I'm not here to to puff you up and and make you feel like you're just all that we are sinners that need God's grace but we are also those who have been treasured by the eternal God of creation who looked at you and said you are worth fill in your name you are worth the blood of Christ We are those people this morning who are precious in the sight of God. You know, there are any other examples of things that we trade in that are not precious, but things that are. That we, when we first moved down to Texas, uh, we were in we'll Anahuac, Texas, outside of Houston. We moved there in 2002. We had some good friends of ours that had a vacation house on Galveston Island on the coast. and uh, So we moved down there in late 2002 and come about this time of the year was Mardi Gras? I had never paid attention to Mardi Gras. I knew what it was, but I didn't pay attention to it all. In Galveston, they celebrate Mardi Gras, and they have what they call a family-friendly celebration of Mardi Gras. On top of that, so we went to our very first, and actually the only one I've ever been to, Mardi Gras parade. And they, it was it was a family-friendly thing. We're right there on the on the coast. The ocean's right there road, all these floats are go down. And of course, they're all throwing beads. Now, these are not valuable beads. These are little plastic things you get from Dollar General for like 89 cents. Little plastic beads. They were throwing these beads as they drive down the thing. Okay, okay, it's kind of cool. People are nuts! These folks are driving down there and throwing these beads, and they're fighting for the beads! I think... Uh, Matthew was like a year and a half old. Uh, ben, so ben would be four and a half years old. You know, My two sons, who are both married now. And I remember you know, Ben's four. Oh, cool. They're throwing some, some great gold beads off. The, he goes to catch them, and some dude my size knocks him over to get an 89 cent string of plastic beads. I want to take those beads. So you want them right around your neck? I'll put them right around your neck. Like they're worthless. Why do you not go to my four year old son for him? Go up to the large and get some for 89 cents. We do stupid stuff for stupid stuff. So, Paul said, or Peter says, God, through his precious blood, has redeemed you from that. He's given you something priceless and precious in exchange for something that's hollow, empty, and meaningless. Your former way of life, he talks about there. for those who are hearing this letter for the first time. You have been redeemed not with silver or gold, not with empty things, but with the precious blood of Christ. From an empty way of living to now something that's eternal because it was eternally planned in the past, foreknown, and put together for your sake. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are the reasons he even goes on to say that we can believe and know who God is today. Isaiah 52, 13 speaks of, we call it one of the suffering servant passages, and it speaks of this idea that one God would send, a servant, as one who would first suffer and then through his suffering would then redeem us one of the things that Peter has talked about a little bit and we'll talk about more moving into the letter is that, yes, God has redeemed us with things that are eternal to get us out of that which is not. With things that are precious with, from out of those things that are not. But this redemption is also precious because it took place through suffering. You know, the reality is most of us want the treasure. We want the precious. We want the reward Without having to go through the suffering, and yet when we look at the cross, when we look throughout all the scripture. What we find is God's always taking His people through <coughs> difficulty, but in the midst of difficulty, He holds out. But this is at the end. You and I might even look at the next. We might we might look at His own life. We might look at the next year. We might look at whatever circumstance we're going through right now. And we might think to ourselves, why am I having to endure this? Why am I having to go through this? Doesn't God love me? Doesn't God like me? Why would he make me go through all this garbage? Sometimes he takes us through the garbage so that he can give us a richer reward. Christ himself suffered immeasurable pain so that you and I could be redeemed. We talk about one of the contexts of 1 Peter is, what does it mean for the people of God to live in this world as outsiders? How do we do that? How do we do that well? Well, one way is this. Understanding the precious, powerful, eternal nature of what God has given us. That everything going on right now, from the good stuff to the bad stuff, is temporary. And that even the bad stuff, perhaps even especially the bad stuff, God will use to make all the more clear to us and make all the more rewarding the coming the coming blessing. This is the nature of God's people. Find me a Bible character, so to speak, who doesn't go through something. In fact, some of them suffer more than we want to really even imagine. So this is the pattern that Peter is describing. And he's wanting us to know this morning that we have been rescued from out of a pointless, empty, hostile, temporary life. Through the precious eternal nature of who Christ is and the blood of Christ. So that we can in fact have not plastic beads but an eternity more precious and powerful than we can possibly think of. I and mean, we, we've been redeemed out of our own sin. We go from something futile through something precious to, verse 21, an everlasting faith. Who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You and I are those redeemed not with money, not not with beads, but was an actual risen Christ who gave his life and his blood for us. From the futile through via the precious, to faith.